the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 99.5 KKLA, live from Southern California. It's David James filling in today. Um, Thank you for being part of our KKLA family. And in this final week of October, I just want to remind you that coming up on Saturday, of course, this weekend is... uh, it's the final weekend, Sunday's Halloween and everything, and the, the late Frank Pastore uh, is going to be on Real Life with Gina Pastore. We're, we've got throwback audio of the late and great Frank Pastore um, talking about the history of Halloween, and that's going to happen on Saturday night, 730. And I, uh, I would love for you to not only dive into listening to that, but also think about this. You know, when we take a stand— for uh, Jesus, you know, we can simply just uh, go on, on on any of our social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, you know, uh, there's one other one I'm missing. What's the other one I'm missing? There's, there's a big one. There's another one. Uh, Snapchat, you know, you go on any of these things and um, you, you post something simple like, uh, you know, God, Jesus loves you so much. He gave his only, God gave his only son to die for you, and he rose again. You can have eternal life when you believe in him. You think something so simple that way, and all of a sudden you start getting, you're getting canceled by people going, oh, wait a minute. You know, what about this belief system, and what about that belief system, and well, how do you respond? I mean, in kindness and gentleness and all of that, do you just ignore it? Well, my next guest is... An incredible guy. Not only does he love Spider-Man and love basketball, you know, sneakers, everything sneakers. He probably has 5,272. You could probably line up sneakers for a mile. It's Dr. Sean McDowell, professor at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. He's got Think Biblically podcast, and he's got a brand new book. His sweetheart, Stephanie, he's got three children. I think one's driving in the car right now. Hey, Sean. Hey, Dave. Good to be with you, buddy. How are you? Yeah, man. Doing well. So you're uh, you're in the car on the way back from basketball practice. Is that uh, what you're telling me? I'm in the car with my son and a few of his teammates. We've been spending the day learning how to customize high-end sneakers at this play call, place called uh, the Shoe Surgeon. It's pretty cool. Yeah. See, now... Uh, sneakers. That's that's you know. Look, I'm just going to break away from the from the thing we're going to talk about in a second. Why are you such a sneaker crazed man? Like, does Stephanie get on you? Like, you have more shoes than I have. <laughs> you know what? I a lot of the Jordans and Nikes I wore growing up playing hoops. They're a great way to connect with the next generation, and they're just fun. They're huge in culture right now, and only going to grow. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, that's what you like to be. You like to be on all the platforms uh, right there with, uh, you know, in the conversation with with this generation. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that very thing. Um, obviously, you're an apologist. You're uh, a professor of theology. You've got a brand new book called Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. I want to read just a little bit from this, Sean. You write, um, quote, 
In the movie Matrix, which happens to be one of your favorite films, you mentioned it's one of your all-time favorite films, you saw four times in the theater. But you're right, in the movie, Neo has a difficult choice to make. Will he choose the pleasures of the artificial world of the Matrix, or will he commit his life to truth, as costly and difficult as that may be, as a choice between the blue pill or the red pill? The Matrix, of course, is a movie, but in real life, each of us faces a similar decision. Here's the question. Will we choose a pleasure-centered life, focused on self-fulfillment, or we give away our lives for a greater cause, unquote. Sean, I mean, there's a lot of self-fulfillment going on right now, so dive right into that concept of your book, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. Will we choose a pleasure-centered life focused on self-fulfillment, or will we give our lives away for a greater cause? Well, I wanted to frame it that way for a couple of reasons. Number one, sometimes in the church, people make God's plan easy as if you will get rewarded for following it and downplay the cost of what it means to actually follow Jesus. And I wanted to start by saying, hey, this is the most rewarding and ultimately fulfilling road to take, but it's not easy. It's a challenge. It's difficult. So I want to start there, but I also want to make a contrast with that our culture increasingly says, live your truth, do what feels right uh, to each his own as long as it feels good, do it. That's what our culture says. And Scripture has a very different view about that. It says, no, it's not about living what feels good. It's about doing what's right. It's about loving God. It's about loving other people. And when you live your life that way, it's actually the most ultimately satisfying. So I want to jump right out of the gate in the book and basically ask people, are you accepting the cultural script, live for yourself, or the script of Jesus, which says, die to yourself and live in love towards God and other people. Well, how do you view all of that trending right now, both uh, in culture and the Church? One of those are both maybe obvious questions, but I just want to run you through the gauntlet here. Where do you think in the lens of culture and the Church do we are we in, in that place of uh, living for a self-fulfillment or truly living, living for Jesus and finding the freedom in Him? Well, I think unmistakably in our culture, it's live for yourself. We see that everywhere. But sadly, I think we see that seeping into the church as well. And especially when it comes to how we've taught young people on sexual purity, we've often said, hey, if you just you know, follow God's plan, He will reward you in all these specific ways. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, be holy because I am holy. It says, follow after the Lord and sacrifice for others. So that's the script that I wanted to switch, and sometimes even the way sexual purity has been taught in the Church is kind of what's been called the sexual prosperity gospel. Right. That if you just follow God's ways, He will reward you in a certain fashion. And now, it's true that God is the one who designed sex and love and relationships, and there is a contentment that comes from living as God designed us to, but that's not why we do it. We do it because it's right. And that's how we love God and we love other people. So how do we have, you know, a little earlier we were talking to Dr. Everett Piper uh, about having courage and boldness. And in the book, you talk about, you know, having the courage to ask some questions about, you know, our relationship uh, with those around us, our relationship with God. So how, you know, go ahead and and dive right into, you know, the crux of the book and, and having the courage to ask those questions and to say, look, the music we listen to, the movies we watch, are all telling us to keep chasing love, and we're finally happy when we find it. No, love is, is that really all we need? Dive into that, Sean. 
Yeah, well, one of the big things that I want to draw out for people is the faulty view of freedom that we have in our culture, which says just do whatever you want as long as it feels good. Well, that's not free. I've sometimes asked my students, I said, okay, wait a minute, think about this. If some guy wants to come home at the end of work and he's tired, he says, I want to go and just look at pornography. That's what I want to do, and he does it. Is he really free? The answer is no. Freedom is not just doing what you want. You actually have to have the right wants. In fact, freedom is not living without restraint. Take someone who jumps up and down on a piano and bangs the piano. It's like, okay, there's no restraint. That person's not really free. The free person is someone who understands the purpose of the piano and who lives according to its design and produces beautiful music. That's what we mean by freedom. So I want people to contrast the ways of our culture with the ways of Jesus, where freedom is living according to God's design and orienting your life to his truth. But that runs completely up against what we hear every day, which says, live for your truth. Yeah, it always is saying, well, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Um, we've got to have courage to, to go against that, even in the midst of, of, of being canceled. I've got a clip from one of your podcasts, or actually it's from a speech that you gave not too long ago, and it kind of ties hand in hand to what we're uh, talking about here. This is uh, Dr. Sean McDowell joining us. It's Dave James, along with Dr. Sean McDowell from Talbot School of Theology and his podcast, uh, Think Biblically. Here's Sean. There's a temptation to say, cancel culture. Let's criticize all those people out there who are canceling people rather than first saying, have we done the same thing? How do we better love our neighbor? Isn't that a Christian response? When Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged, his point was not to judge. His point was not to not judge. His point was take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see the speck in a brother. In other words, judge yourself first, and then like Jesus says in John 7, then you can make a righteous judgment. What do you think Jesus cares about principally living rightly? Those in a wider culture who don't call themselves his followers or those to whom Scripture calls the bride of Christ, which is you and me. Friends, before we blame somebody else and cancel culture, let us look within and humble ourselves and say, how do we better love our neighbors? Have we bought into this cancel culture lie? And how do we get our house in order first so we can better love our neighbors? Sean, I mean, that's pretty powerful um, to be able to say, okay, to be a peculiar people means we don't, you know, drink from the same Kool-Aid bowl. I really appreciate that you played that clip, because when we hear cancel culture, I think Christians make one of two, a couple mistakes. One is we just are silent, and we don't speak up, and we live in fear, which is not a Christian response. The other response is to become the one who cancels and start bullying others and show no forgiveness. Well, my response, I think, biblically, is before we judge others, let's look inside and ask ourselves, have we been gracious towards others? Have we canceled other people? Have we showed the love of Christ? And I think in our cancel culture, there's something about just grace and kindness that gets people's attention, because they're not used to it, especially on social media. Everybody attacks, assumes the worst, and demonizes. When we just lead with kindness and understanding, 
it's kind of the radical love of Jesus, I think, that speaks through to people today. So what would you say to the person that says, well, you know, you can be kind, but you're not really going to get your point across, you know, elaborate a little bit on that, because really, I think, you know, I'm speaking for myself, I have to check myself many times to say, okay, uh, I need to respond to this in truth, absolutely, but I need to have some manners in doing it. That's a lost virtue these days. I think courage and manners. So talk a little bit about uh, and, and tutor, tutor us a little bit on saying, look, we're not going to, you know, give in to cancel culture, but we're also not going to collapse into it and become canceling people ourselves. Look, it's easy to live in fear of cancel culture. I mean, you say one wrong thing could cost you your job, your reputation. But what does the scripture say the response to fear? First John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. So I wrote a blog not long ago about how would Jesus comment on social media. And when I look at how most Christians comment, I'm pretty sure they're not following what Jesus said to do. Jesus would ask a lot of questions. He would be firm, and he would debate at times. And read John. He's debating with people. But he's not argumentative. He makes arguments. He's kind. He's gracious. And frankly, if somebody is just completely rude and trying to cancel me, I'm not going to waste my time engaging somebody (laughs) who I don't think is kind and, you know, means well. You don't have to respond to everybody. Part of being wise is figuring out who do I respond to, who do I ignore. My point is not just to win an argument. I mean, why, why win an argument when you lose the person? My goal is to advance truth and to show love and kindness along the way. And I've fallen short plenty of times and have to delete a tweet and <laughs> apologize to somebody. I mean, that's a part of the process. But that's how we should think about it, because it's not only Christian, but I think it is effective. And is everybody going to listen? No. I mean, they crucified Jesus, for crying out loud. Not everybody's going to listen, but a lot of people will who are open-minded, and they'll respond to it. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, that Jesus paid the— the ultimate price for us. And and he knew he was going to do that, but, you know, he was fully God, fully human, Sean, but you had to know, I mean, he, he, he wept blood in the garden. So obviously in his human side, he did not want to be, you know, he, look, did he just want to be killed and go through all of that? Just was human side was pouring out to the father. God, if there's any other way uh, for this to, to pass from me, uh, make it make it clear to me, and obviously it was not. But he did not give in that way, and and I think I, teaching my own children, you know, uh, and and teaching our own children, and and you say you know, we know you're involved and engaged in the in the culture with all of the different social media platforms. Getting back to that selfishness thing, and it's all about me, me, me. Talking about Christ and His ultimate sacrifice, He gave. For us, how do we take that and and be courageous in our response, even in the kindness, being able to say, okay, you know what? I'm just not going to live in this place of cancel space, but I'm going to take a stand for Christ. I think we ultimately have to remember what our end game is, and we have to put it in focus, because when we don't, we buy right into what cancel culture is. So when I'm on social media, what's my goal? It's not just followers for the sake of followers. It's not subscribers for the sake of subscribers. Who cares about that? For me, it's about encouraging Christians in their faith 
and, you know, challenging non-believers to think about the Christian faith. So when I keep that in perspective, it makes it a lot easier to treat people different and not cancel them. I also think frequently of Matthew 18, the story of the unmerciful servant who basically got forgiven a ton, gets out and then cancels this other servant who owes him a little because he forgot how much he had been forgiven. I think when we Christians keep in perspective, what's the end game? What's our goal? Why are we doing this? You know, what were we like apart from the love and grace of Christ? Then it just, at least for me, it reminds me to be kind and gracious towards others because, you know, apart from the Holy Spirit and God's forgiveness, and I know what I'm capable of. So I think bottom line is we have to ask ourselves why we're doing this, keep it in perspective, and then it's going to help us respond better to the craziness of cancel culture. Ah, uh, and the freedom that, that, that Christ brings. Do you find that uh, in your talks and, you know, now obviously being a professor and in the classroom, have you seen a... a a progression or a regression, if you will, of people who just go, it blows their mind that there's actually freedom in Christ that, you know, when we, when we shed all those selfish things and those things, it's just me, 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 me. And I don't want to be that way. So Sean, I I don't want to be that way. And I have to constantly say, God, get me out of that zone. I don't want every post to be about me or every conversation to be about me. It's Toby Keith that it's all about me, all about number one. You know, remember that old country song. So do you find that a lot of people do respond even greater when they realize when that light bulb goes off that living for Christ and being courageous in him and being set free in the way he wants to live and chasing love? in your book um, coming out here December. Do you find that there's an awful lot of people that, that the light bulb is, is going off clearer and brighter and quicker now? Or your thoughts on that? You know, I mean, I would think that it would, yeah. so much selfishness, and then all of a sudden Jesus brings freedom. It would be an explosion of, oh, my God, I've got to change. I've got to have him transform my heart. Just recently I had a chance to interview a, a former porn star on my YouTube channel. His name is Joshua Broom, and he's done a thousand films and was the male performer of the year in 2012. And was just essentially the way he described living for himself, for money, for fame. And the very night he won the highest award that you can win in that industry, he was at home depressed and lonely and thinking about taking his life. Why? Because that's the book of Ecclesiastes. You try to find any ultimate satisfaction apart from loving God and loving other people, and it's going to leave you empty. So there's a lot of people on social media that are searching for that and don't realize it. But when people get it and their eyes are open, there's such freedom in it. And that's what Joshua shared when I interviewed him. He goes, I am more free to love my wife now, my kids, to follow Jesus. It's changed his posts. So that's often how I use social media. I want to highlight other people's stories want to highlight what powerful things that God has done in people's lives, and it's just more rewarding. And, you know, some people are not open to that, but I can't control that. I cannot control that. I mean, the rich young ruler, Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away. He let the rich young ruler walk away. But I do know that there's a lot of people that respond powerfully when we preach the gospel lovingly and move out of ourselves and focus on other people. Ah. 
Sean, can you stay with us another segment? I know your son's driving. Is he on the 405 stuck in traffic? Or, I mean, you know, you need to hold him back on the governor on the, on the, on the accelerator. Can you stay with another, one more segment? Yeah, he's a good driver. I'll stay one more segment. All right, perfect. And I've got that Joshua clip. I'll come out of the break uh, playing Joshua right there from your, from your podcast, your interview. More with Dr. Sean uh mcdowell he is of course professor at talbot theological seminary but also just a podcast a writer incredible soul dad father husband uh watching his son drive nicely down the freeway here as we interview him this southern california tuesday october 26 live from southern california it's dave moore with sean mcdowell next KKLA, Southern California Live. It's Dave filling in this afternoon. Thank you for being on this journey. Phone number here is 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. We're talking to Dr. Sean McDowell, Associate Professor in the Christian Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology. He also has his Think Biblically podcast. He's uh, riding shotgun with his son driving down the freeway. And Hey, I want to play this piece that uh, you were talking about. You had, a, um, you had an interview with Joshua Broom. This is what uh, part of that interview sounded like. So I was in the industry for six years. I did over a thousand movies. I won numerous awards. Um, like the, the biggest, the biggest award a, a male can win in the industry is male performer of the year. It's, you know, hmm. along the lines of like best actor or, or whatever. Okay. But I was nominated for that three times. And ironically, I won it the last year I was in the industry in 2012. But, you know, lead, like throughout that time, it, it was it was very dark and we can definitely unpack that. Hmm. But the thing that I love to communicate to people anytime I get the opportunity to is I believed that once I achieved the fame, which I achieved um, the money, which I made over a million dollars the time I was in the industry, um, the achievements in the in the accolades. So I had one performer of the year because that opens up tremendous amount of opportunities within the industry and i wanted and they called my name to come up on stage and i wasn't there i was at home crying my eyes out wanting to take my life because i had achieved the thing that i thought would fill the gap in my life and once i had it and it didn't it actually illuminated my brokenness that is when i fell apart and that's Joshua Broom, former, what was he in the porn? He was in, in the porn industry for what, years, wasn't he, Sean? He's a pastor now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Five to six years he was in it. And as you said, did over a thousand pornography films. A thousand. It's amazing. And there he is talking about, you know, he's got the highest honor in that and uh, industry. And he's at home contemplating taking his own life because he doesn't have freedom, and even though he's gained uh, all the freedom the world would uh, would afford him. Boy, there, there's such a takeaway from that. When you were interviewing him and you heard him say that, what, what? and I know you've got to remember that moment, what, uh, what went through your mind? Oh, my goodness. The entire interview for an hour was just, it, it was stunning to me because there's such a perception about the pornography industry from the outside, and he just pointed out over and over again the lies of what it's really like. And I even had a chance to ask him, like, what did it take for you to get in at the beginning? Because he had a, a 
some of a religious background and some with family. And he said it was just one step at a time, one lie, and all of a sudden he found himself there. And, you know, one of the things he shared that got him out of it was he would never go cash a check personally because he was always embarrassed what was written on the line of the check itself. And one time he had to cash it, and he just kind of handed over a little embarrassed what the lady's going to say. This lady looked at him and just simply said, you know, hi, Joshua, is there anything I can do to help you? And it was like this small sign of just grace and kindness in a dark experience and world for him that ultimately turned his world upside down. So it just shows that what we see on the outside is not always the truth and that God can be at work even in some of the darkest places. And to be courageous enough to show that kindness like that teller did to him. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just simply that question, it's such a a tutorial for us. You write in Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. This is uh, your book. I think it's due in stores, what, the 1st of December, isn't it? Oh, no, it came out last year. It already came out. It came out last year. Yeah, it's already out yeah. now. So this is what you write. You said, as a young college student, I remember being paralyzed with uncertainty about my career choice. I read a book by a former U.S. president, and he essentially said, if you don't know what to do with your career, focus on how you can best love God and love other people. Simple but profound. Sean, you go on to write. And in light of what we just heard, Joshua speaking, former porn uh, star at the highest height of his industry, getting male of the year type, and he's at home contemplating taking his own life because he does not have freedom, and he's he's looking for that something to fill the God-shaped hole. You go on to write this. Yet the contrast between the invitation of Jesus and the invitation of the world could not be starker. The world tells you to live for yourself. Jesus says, die to yourself. The world says to do whatever you want. Jesus says to cultivate the right wants. The world says to love yourself. Jesus says to love others as you love yourself, unquote. Um, Being a Jesus follower, you know, when Jesus said, be a peculiar people, Sean, I, I don't think it's, it couldn't be more obvious how to be peculiar. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the call of Jesus, like you read, that that captures it, and Josh experienced it, that kind of the cultural narrative, again, is about living for yourself and what feels right. And Jesus is like, no, sacrifice yourself, lay down your life, live for others. So I remember being in college and just kind of paralyzed, figuring out what I want to do for the rest of my life, trying to figure things out and not knowing. And I read that line. It just said, ask yourself what you can do to love other people. And I thought, what a great question. Instead of asking primarily how much money can I make, instead of asking primarily, you know, where can I live in the best place or have success in the eyes of the world, how do I choose a profession in which I use the gifts that God has given me to bless and encourage other people? That's rewarding. And that's what I'm trying to lay out in the book, Chasing Love, rather than, you know, if you seek yourself satisfaction, you're going to end up kind of like Joshua was, depressed and lonely, and just have a menial, meaningless meaningless life. But if you live your life saying, how do I love God and other people? There's a richness and a reward that comes with that. That's how God has designed us to be. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. People want to seek those things first, and Jesus is like, no, seek other people, their benefit first. That's how you find a meaningful life, and that's what Josh experienced the hard way. But now I'm so proud of him. He's writing a book, and he's speaking. It has a message that just has to be heard about the freeing power of Jesus Christ. Well, not only that, but he he went from porn industry star. You said he's now a pastor. I mean, he, he, the abyss couldn't be greater. I mean, how God yeah. transforms a heart, and and for all of us, I think all of us, Sean. I want to invite all of us, you know, and I want you to encourage all of us and challenge us, you know, in chasing love, sex, love, and relationships in a confused culture. You really, it, it's. You talk about how this is not a book on sex, love, and relationships, but it's to motivate us to uh, to chase and to have a an absolute working relationship with Jesus, working through those myriad of practical questions that arise in relationships, a single person wanting to honor God, life, relationships. Um, just challenge us to... To, to get into God's Word and to, to say, you know what, I'm not going to live for myself, uh, but I'm going to live for how Christ would renew and transform my mind. Yeah, so this book is a part of what's called the True Love Waits campaign. It's been around since the 90s. And when they gave me the book title and I agreed that I was going to partner with them, the title, Chasing Love, was kind of meant how do you help people chase love? And I thought about it more. I was like, I love the title, but we have it backwards. Our culture says you find that person and that human relationship, and it fills you up. And the gospel says marriage and relationship and singleness, if you're in good relationships with the church and others, is rewarding. But our ultimate goal in life is first to love God and love other people. In fact, I would argue we can only fully love people right when we love God first, because when we love God, then we understand who people are, what their value is, and what it means to actually love them. So the book is really a challenge to get people to say, don't buy into the narrative about just chasing love for yourself. Rather, ask yourself, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what your economic status you have, whether married or single, are you seeking after a loving God and loving other people? How are you using your time and resources to put other people first? That's a countercultural way to live. Our culture says, get yours, live for yourself, and it's empty, just like Joshua experienced at the height of the adult film industry. Jesus offers something very different, and it's a life of contentment. It's a life of meaning. It's a life of sacrifice. He says, love God first and love other people. And that's at the heart of the book. And frankly, it's really not a book just about sexuality when it's all said and done, because what we do in dating and love and sex is really just an extension of, you know, our bigger life and our, the bigger focus of our ministry and who we are. So the bigger question is, who am I? How do I love people? And then that plays itself out in my profession, plays itself out in my relationships, and plays itself out in every other way. So for people listening, God's calling you to something great. Don't live for yourself. Don't waste your time buying that cultural narrative. Love God and love other people, and you're going to live a rich, 
meaningful life. You ah. can all find ways to do that. You know, and, and being able to share our story of redemption, to be able to be free enough to be able to say, you know, look, I was chasing it in fill in the blank, alcohol, substance abuse, pornography, but God rescued and saved me from that. And you might be, and he continues to do that perhaps, and you might be taking that stand uh, canceled out. Sean, I want to play something else you said that's profound that addresses that very thing as we close out here. Look, I love technology. I'm on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and even TikTok, believe it or not. Because that's where this generation is. That's where this generation is. But if you step back and think about it, we have a hurting generation, more division than ever. We're all supposed to have an opinion on something, and now we all have a channel to the world. Of course, we're going to find ourselves in a cancel culture. Right, and you're referring to the phone in our hands. Maybe address a little of the wisdom on how we can use that to benefit the kingdom. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. One of the challenges of technology is we now have at our fingertips more information and also more challenges intellectually, spiritually, morally— than any generation in history. You don't have to go out looking for temptation or bad ideas. They're coming to you. So I would just say technology is a tool we have to think about. It's, I think, morally neutral, but rather than allowing it to enslave us, it's a tool that we use. And it's great. I love technology. I love social media. I enjoy it. But I don't want it to wreck my relationships. I don't want it to become the basis of my identity. I don't want it to control my time. And that's what I think happens to a lot of people. So my concerns with technology is not just the messages that come through, but the medium of technology itself can be damaging. It can shape the way we have we relate to each other. It can shape the way we relate to God. So let's be reflective about it. Let's have boundaries with technology. And let's use it ultimately as a tool for the kingdom. There's a way to use it and redeem it, but let's be wise and smart about it. Sean, thank you for joining us. You can find Sean McDowell, Think Biblically, his podcast, the YouTube channel. I think it's just under Sean McDowell, isn't it? Your YouTube channel. Yep. (laughs) People can easily remember that. I think that's where you'll find Joshua's uh, entire uh, interview that you had uh, with Joshua um, and Think Biblically by podcast YouTube channel, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. Dr. Sean McDowell, thanks for joining us, brother. I appreciate you and, and props to your son and, and the others in the car that, uh, man, it's been quiet as a church mouse in there, man. <laughs> Love you, big, big wave. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Thanks, Sean. God bless you, brother. David, stay close. We'll get back to your call here in just a moment as we wrap wrap out uh, Southern California Live here on 99.5 KKLA. David, don't go anywhere. We'll be right with you. Nine nine point five KKLA live from Los Angeles. That right there, uh, Wilbur. Thank you, uh, Michael W. Smith. Right there, uh, Leland sings an incredible version of Waymaker. It is the anthem of the day, I believe. And and all the whole thread of conversation we've had today. I hope you go back to the podcast and take a listen. We talked about the whole situation with Alec Baldwin and the cinematographer and. 
um, the director on the set there. We've talked to D- Dr. Everett Piper today, uh, talking about being strong and courageous. Uh, Sean McDowell, we just wrapped up with him talking about his new book. Hey, David, uh, appreciate you being part of our KKLA family, brother, there in Santa Monica. Uh, what's going on with you? You know, um, I think that Sean McDowell was very good, very insightful. Uh, I think it was a real change from a lot of the people who you've had on lately that just want to talk about anti-vax, anti-mask, that just want to be political instead of theological. So I think Sean McDowell was a really fresh change, and I hope you have more people like him and less of just, you know, political theology. Right. I appreciated Sean McDowell very much. David, Santa Monica, thank you for that. And indeed, I think apologetics and, uh, you know, the root, the concrete and rebar to everything we do in life stems from our belief system, right? I mean, it does. Um, a wise person said to me once, I invest in those things that matter. And I will invest my life into those things that matter to me, to me. Okay, you have, you have to put the to me on there. And being a whole follower of Jesus means that to me, you're at the end of the line because now we invest in those things that matter on what Christ would have us and how he would have us to lead and live and serve and to make a difference in this life. And so, yeah, I agree with you, David. I think um, being able to get back to, I mean, solid theology, getting back to the concrete and rebar of our faith— the situation as such as it is now, though, we have to be very careful even where we uh, invest our time in apologetics. We've got to make sure that it's it's actually uh, men and women who are theologically sound because there's all kinds of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, hoodoo and voodoo out there, people peddling all kinds of things just simply uh, because— the church has even been infiltrated by people who don't want to have the lens of Christ, but it's what we want that lens to be in the name of Christ. Big difference. Big difference. So Lee Strobel, if you want to pick up anything by Lee and uh, like the case for Christ, absolutely sensational. Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is one of those books that's, uh, again, profoundly great. Uh, the Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. Again, another one of those apologetics books. And, you know, The Case for Christ is one of those books that, that rocked um, the late Frank Pastore's life, which, again, on Saturday night, Gina and I, on Real Life, not to, to, to plug, <laughs> you know, but I don't, I don't get to spend some time with you in the afternoon here very often. So I just want to remind you, coming up Saturday night on Real Life, 7.30, we have throwback audio of Frank Pastore, the legendary and late Frank Pastore, talking to Jill Martin about the history of Halloween and uh, how we can take that back because it was originally a sacred day. You know, and before I get to my final little piece that I've got, which really encouraging and uplifting, I think, talking about dads in Louisiana. I'm going to get to them. But here's what I would challenge you to do. Uh, Halloween, we are, okay, I grew up in a, in a family where my brother and I, we did not trick-or-treat. My mom and dad were, no, we're not going to not going to do that. That's not what you're going to do. And I totally appreciate what they did. I totally appreciate it. I thank, thank them. My dentist doesn't back from being a kid. He wishes, oh man, Daryl and David, they're not coming in because they're not eating up all that candy. 
So there are the, but when I had my own children, we, Claire and I were like, you know what? We look at this as a way to get to know neighbors. We give a way for our, for our, to have fun with our children, whether it's, uh, you know, carving pumpkins or finding decent costumes, fun, creative things, you know, not getting into the, the blood and gore of it, but just to be able to say, you know what, we're going to, this is a time for us to bond with our children. And of course, teach them what the history of it is and was and how we can reclaim it. One way we try to do that in my household is, okay, so picture you got game one of the World Series tonight. Um, we wish the Dodgers were in it, but not. So it's always kind of the week before uh, Halloween, for the most part, that the World Series or the playoffs are going on. So I get the big bags of candy, okay? And, and by the way, you want to be a good witness when you do this. No bit of honey. Okay, that's the worst candy in the history of the world. Bit of honey. And if you want to argue that fact, triple eight fifty two talks, triple eight five two eight twenty five fifty seven. Just saying, you don't want to do what I'm going to invite you to do on bit of honey because that that will chase people off for Jesus forever. <laughs> so here's what you do: you take a, a passage of scripture, okay, and it could be Psalm twenty three. Could be John three sixteen. Could be your life first. Mine happens to be a close every show. Proverbs sixteen twenty. He that hounds matter wisely shall find good. Who's to trust in the Lord? Happy is he. Okay, it could just be a passage of scripture, and you take that and you, you you type it once on a piece of paper, and then you copy that about forty times on that one sheet. Then print that off four or five times. You got two hundred little tiny uh, passages of scripture. What you do is you, you, you tape, you take scissors and you cut all those off. So that's just the one piece of one uh, scripture to itself. Okay. One passage to itself. And then you tape it to all the candies. So you now have 200, 300 pieces of candy that's doing the non-traditional evangelism thing. You've got, okay, uh, I've got dark chocolate Fill in the blank or Reese's or uh, York peppermint candies other than bit of honey. Because, again, bit of honey will throw every every kid who gets that will never touch the Bible ever in their life because that's the most horrible piece of candy ever. But you find that and you, you tape that to every one of the pieces of candy. So when the trick-or-treaters come by, you're saying, oh, yeah, nice costume. Oh, yeah. But you're throwing in candy with scripture verses on it and you pray the Holy Spirit blesses that in the family that's going to open that up and be inspecting the candy and go, what in the world's this? We've done that for years. So I encourage you to do that. I, I just, I, I, it's awesome. This is an awesome story. Do you hear about the dads on duty? So a guy by the name of Michael, he started this dads on duty because quote, he decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who are us. There was this um, Louisiana high school, Shreveport, Southwood High School resulted in the arrest of 23 students. A group of 40 dads stepped up to put a stop to that violence. Fathers, men, take a listen to this. When the SOS went up at a troubled school, who answered the call? A bunch of DADs. Here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. 
perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? With well, dads. We decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting, people started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads it's have just... the power to do that? Yes. <laughs> not many people know it, but yes. <laughs> let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. <laughs> they just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your suit is untied, but it's really not untied. <laughs> and they hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. <laughs> and it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been, like, happy, and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure, the father figure at home. Or a male, period, in their life. Like so that. just to be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. I think absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, baby boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. <laughs> Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana. All right, I love that story. Now, stumbled upon, he says, do you think you guys stumbled upon? No, 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 it's not a stumbling. Fathers, we play a major role. Men, I challenge all of us as, as men to, to find those non-traditional ways to say, you know what, not only am I going to be uh, in the mix with my own family, but I'm going to, like these dads on duty in Shreveport, Louisiana, Southwood High School, being there present, not only with their presence and get to class, and, but having a relationship struck and even just having fun. That's what we as Jesus followers need to do, impact and make a difference in Jesus' name, being courageous, strong, kind, exercising self-control ourselves. Awesome stuff. Dad's on duty. It's David James. Love you, KKLA family. It's Tuesday, October 26th, live from Los Angeles, live from Southern California. It's 99.5 KKLA. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.